It's Tuesday, January 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, it's the Chief Investment Officer of MFAM Funds, Brian Hinman. Good to see you. Chris, it is wonderful to be here in Virginia. So, I didn't even know you were going to be in town, because you're out in our Denver office, and it was a happy surprise to bump into you. Yes. I don't. I don't tell many people because my calendar is already slammed. So I stuck you in here. <laughs> I appreciate that. The dozens of listeners appreciate that. <laughs> um, we're going to get to Netflix in a second. We got I think we should start with J.P. Morgan Chase um, because this appears to be a story that is bigger than just one Wall Street bank's earnings report. Um, the headline is that for the first time in nearly four years, J.P. Morgan Chase came in below expectations. Uh, I don't know to what extent you follow that bank or any big Wall Street bank closely, um, but JP, uh, the the CEO Jamie Dimon, his comments to me are the real story. But first, let's just stick with the bank. Like, to, like, how interesting are the big banks, whether it's JP Morgan Chase or others, to you? They're not overly interesting. However, JP Morgan is, I'd say, one of probably the four top. Conference calls that I personally listen to on a regular basis to get uh, to get my bearings for what's going on in the economy and in the markets. So uh, I tend to listen to J.P. Morgan. I tend to listen to Paychex, Fastenal for the industrial side, and then Mastercard or Visa. And if you listen to those four, you get a pretty good lay of the land of what's going on um, domestically, but also uh, globally in a lot of cases. Um, JP Morgan's worth listening to because they are the largest bank in the US. They're the largest credit card issuer. They're the second largest merchant acquirer, and they're the largest investment bank. So, this is a behemoth that has their fingers in a lot of what makes uh, the economy and the market go. Um, and their year was very good. Uh, the quarter was a little noisy. And what's going to get the headlines in the quarter here was they had a big miss in their trading department. And that is naturally a noisy part of their business. And so I'm going to let the traditional news sources take care of that one and just put that to the side because it's not really uh, indicative of, uh, I think, what's important or what's going on truly in driving their business. Uh, the place that I like to look is what they're saying about, uh, about the US economy and about consumers. And uh, as, you, as you noted, it's important to, to, to read the comments and understand what Jamie Dimon and his company is saying. And uh, I'll read you a couple of, of quote excerpts here real quick. Healthy and engaged US consumer that has spent saving and investing. And he also said that credit is is pristine. And then the CFO said the outlook for growth in the economy is still strong and that uh, internationally, slower but still positive global growth. So, those are good things to hear. They are good things to hear. Uh, one thing, uh, you mentioned the miss in the trading department. And I get that in the grand scheme of things, Jamie Dimon you know, doesn't particularly care about one miss in one quarter. And and he said as much on the call. Basically, I don't I don't really care about that. My hunch, though, is that if you work for Jamie Dimon in the trading department, that's not how it's <laughs> behind closed doors. That's not how the conversation is going. That's that's for them to deal with. I'm just saying. I saw that quote and I thought, mm, I don't know about that. I bet if you work for him. You're hearing a different tune. So they definitely run a tight shop at J.P. Morgan. I mean, this is the bluest of blue chip banks that there are, that there are. They they escaped relatively unscathed through the financial crisis, and they were one of the few rare uh, rare banks to to, to have uh, have that. 
And Jamie Dimon and the way he runs things and his team deserve a lot of credit there. I think he's much more willing to tolerate revenue misses. He has much less willing to tolerate uh, uh, rampant risk-taking. And you see this in how the company presents its uh, its data and, and, and talks to investor. They always quote their fortress financial uh, position and their fortress balance sheet. So, they very much understand that um, or, or put risk management first and foremost, uh, and uh, are much more tolerant of misses on the top line. So, Diamond's comments about the state of the U.S. economy, and in particular, the government shutdown, which is now the longest government shutdown uh, in our country's history. Um, you couple that with the fact that this morning the White House came out uh, saying that uh, they're now doubling the estimate of the cost that the government shutdown will, you know, the impact on the economy. Um, you take those two things together, and Diamond saying, "Yeah, this is this is going to be problematic for a number of reasons, not the least of which is." Delaying IPOs, and and we had talked uh, on Motley Fool Money a couple of weeks ago about how uh, towards the end of 2018, despite the volatility, um, there were reports coming out that IPOs were actually going to be sped up in the first half of 2019. Um, clearly, if the government shut down, that's that's not going to be the case. So. It, all of this together, because is a little concerning, because I think. As you said, Diamond runs a great shop. He's incredibly smart. He is highly respected. And if Warren Buffett is the economic reassurer in chief in our country, Jamie Diamond is probably on the short list to come right after him. So it is one of those situations where when Diamond talks about the economy, um, he does so in an, in very smart and measured ways. And this is uh, this is a little troubling. Uh, Agreed with all of that, Chris, and I think it's worth noting that I think Buffett recently purchased more J.P. Morgan shares, so he sees that he sees that as well. You know, the government shutdown um, and its impact on IPOs, I think, is more concerning to you and I than it should be to most. Um, 2019 is going to be a big year for splashy, important IPOs. I mean, uh, companies out there like Airbnb. Uh, Uber and Lyft, Slack, Slack, yeah, just just to name a few, um, are, are the big headliners. They are going to go public not because they're desperately in need of money and are going to be in some cash crunch if they're pushed out a quarter. Um, so I don't see that as being uh, you know among the big impacts um, that the government shutdown could have. Again, I think where it comes uh, comes full circle is you know we have so many workers here in the D.C. area that have been furloughed, and their day-to-day lives are impacted by not getting paid. Uh, and that reverberates throughout, or can reverberate throughout the economy. And so, that is why my focus is squarely on Diamond's comments around the U.S. consumer, uh, and even U.S. businesses, and the impacts that it might be having there. And he was fairly reassuring, I think, on this call, um, which, uh, together with his comments about um, the credit being pristine and, and, and their loan books still growing, um, I'm not worried yet. Uh, however, uh, the longer this does go on, the longer it begins to uh, shake consumer confidence, even outside of those directly impacted, um, and we'll start to see that playing out in bad ways. 
not that I'm overly concerned for uh, what your work life is like. I'm a little concerned, but but I can't say it's a it's a day to day concern. But I am curious if the economic uncertainty in the United States makes it harder for you to do your job when you are looking at different companies and you have almost this ripple effect of we have the government shutdown we have economic uncertainty and therefore CEOs across any number of industries are giving if not less guidance they're giving more vague guidance because it's harder for them to plan uh, it actually makes our job easier in some ways Kudos. Um, yeah but well because it creates it creates uncertainty, it creates volatility, and that creates more opportunities for us. Uh, we spend our time trying to understand uh, the guts of businesses and make our own assessments on what their futures are going to be. And if companies issue f- less guidance or less helpful guidance, uh, we get we tend to get to find larger spreads between what we think is reality and what the market is pricing in as reality. And so it creates more opportunity for us. Uh, it creates more chaos in our day to day, of course, as you know investors are clamoring and worried and, and you know asking for their money back and that sort of thing. But from the pure investing side, it actually makes the job more interesting uh, and, and easier in some ways. Let's move on to Netflix. Netflix shares are up 6% this morning after the company announced it is raising prices depending on the plan. Prices are going up anywhere between 13% and 18% per plan. Um, This is taking effect immediately for new customers. Uh, Existing customers are going to be grandfathered in over the next few months. And not at all a surprise that shares of Netflix are up. I mean, we we love to see companies with pricing power. This has demonstrated in the past that it is a company with pricing power, and they're flexing their muscle right now. Good for them. Yeah, I think there are two sides to this story. The first is they can do this because uh, the gap between what consumers pay for a subscription to Netflix and consumers pay for alternatives is wide. Especially given the value proposition, uh, so the average Netflix bill is about $100 a year. The average uh, Comcast bill is about a thousand. The average Directv bill is about $1,400 a year. Now, of course, that Netflix uh, subscription cost doesn't include internet, but most people are going to have that anyway. So there is a huge gap between um, what you're paying for Netflix and what you're paying for sort of sort of the next the next man up, the alternative. And then, frankly, uh, I think that consumers believe that Netflix is raising prices, not just so they can pad their bottom line, but so they can invest in the consumer experience, invest in more content, and make that value proposition even stronger. So, I think Netflix has earned the right to raise prices because of how they've handled this in the past, which is typically, uh, they make the product a heck of a lot better, let users enjoy that, and then they charge for it. And so that lag, that delay, has earned them the goodwill to be able to do this. It is interesting timing, though, because, uh, as you said, they've absolutely earned the right to do this. I completely agree with that. Um, they're doing it at a, t- at a time where, arguably, 
the competitive landscape is more competitive than ever before. You know, Hulu is beefing up their offerings. Um, you know, Disney. All these new streaming services are coming online. Um, so I can imagine at least one of Reed Hastings' lieutenants saying, "I'm not sure we want to do this in this environment." On the other hand, it's also easy for me to imagine someone saying, "No, let's do this now before." Disney streaming really gets off the ground, and some of those others as well. Yeah, I, I, I really just want to go back to the value proposition here for, for Netflix. I mean, think about the breadth of things that you uh, can consume there. And even in raising their prices here, it's still going to be cheaper, I think, than, than HBO Go or HBO Now or whatever the heck it's called. Um, so the cost per hour you spend watching um, is still. So much more advantaged in Netflix's case, uh, and the other thing I think that's worth that's worth talking about here is I think Netflix is probably going to be the one that has to lead in pricing with all of these competitors. Um, the reality of this business is they all spend a ton on content, and they're not really making any money right now. And so, uh, this buys those other firms a little bit of breathing room to raise their own prices as well and keep in the same, in the same ballpark. The other side of this coin that I alluded to with my first comment is, uh, is that does Netflix actually need to do this? Um, because they are spending 10, more than $10 billion in content. They have more, almost $20 billion in content obligations per year. Uh, and their their debt costs are rising. Uh, the last uh, the last debt that they issued uh, in late uh, 2018, I think it was, was almost at six percent interest rates for for 1.9 billion dollars. So their debt costs are rising. They've got 135 million, call it, um, subscribers. Raising getting a couple bucks more across that pays their interest costs for the year. So this allows them to continue. Uh, what they hope is the flywheel of investing in um, great content, growing their subscriber base, uh, and having uh, very loyal customers. It's been obviously a phenomenal long-term ride for Netflix shareholders. In the short term, for anyone who looked at Netflix shares right before Christmas, when it was around 230 plus a share, and thought, ah, for Christmas, I'm going to buy myself a couple of shares of that. Well, well done, because now it's north of 350. So, there you go. Um, so that's worked out well. It's, you know, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of that before. You, the point you touched on about competitors and how they may view this, because yeah, now that you mention it, I'm sure that whether it's Disney or Hulu or any other service, I'm sure they're uh, maybe not popping the champagne, but they're probably pleased to see, oh, Netflix, the cost of Netflix is going up? Great. This either gives us an ability to market lower prices more aggressively, or it gives us the cushion to bump up our price a little bit. Yeah. Is there anything on Netflix you're watching these days, or you're just immersed in conference calls? Uh, immersed in conference calls <laughs> is the right answer, but my my favorites are Making a Murder. I can't wait till they have another season there, uh, and I like um, Hip Hop Evolution, which I believe is coming out with its second its second season. I'm completely unfamiliar with that show. Get what, with the program. What? 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 Give me give me the thirty second description of Hip Hop Evolution. Uh, it walks it, you through the evolution evolution of. It's, it's a documentary. It's, it not, is, it's, yeah. it's not a fictional series. It's no. just okay. All right. 
Um, did Rob Brunette turn you on to that? No. That's, okay. I, that's my own jam. Rob knows more about music than just about anyone I know. So, if, uh, anything cutting edge when it comes to music, I assume Rob is right on top of it. Uh, one of our colleagues. Um, thanks for being here. Uh, as I mentioned, so just to pull back the curtain on life here at Full Global Headquarters, I mentioned yesterday we, we had the, uh, uh, the snow and, and areas shut down in schools and that sort of thing. And so, Dan Klein and I, Taped uh, market foolery, and then a couple hours after that, uh, the fire alarms go off, and I thought to myself, "Wait a minute, I don't, I don't think we have a scheduled drill." And it turns out this was a legit fire alarm for legitimate reasons, and uh, we ended up all huddling outside for about thirty minutes or so, and that's where I saw you. That so, in hindsight, I'm actually grateful that we had. The fire alarm go off because otherwise I probably would not have known that you were on the premises. The stars have aligned, Chris. This was meant to be. <laughs> um, I say this uh, every time Bill Barker is on the show uh, that folks should go to MFAM Funds and 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 check out the the latest writings from from you and your team there. Um, this morning I actually went to MFAMFunds.com myself because I realized oh, I haven't done this in a while. And I thought, well, I want to see. You you guys have a new website which is absolutely fantastic. It's slick. It well, I mean, it looks great, but also just the the content, everything about the site is great. So so kudos to you. I know you probably didn't design it, but I'm sure you had a hand in saying, well, let's make sure we include these things. So I can take no credit other <laughs> other than general inspiration for those who worked very hard on it. Well, <laughs> go to mfamfunds.com and check out uh, a phenomenal. Brand new website. Uh, Brian Hinman, thanks for being here and thanks for making time. Always a pleasure, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>